Being an ally does not mean you know what it feels like to identify as a minority, or that you know everything of what it's like to work in a place where you're different, but that you, especially as a leader, would use your voice to amplify others. On this episode, how to do better in the workplace to help us all find power in our differences. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 548. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. I know that one of the places so many of us in our community have a heart for is really thinking about how do we empower differences well. And while our heart is in the right place on that, sometimes our actions aren't always as consistent as we'd like them to be. Today, an invitation to take the next step on actions in empowering differences, someone with us today who's absolutely an expert on this, not only through her professional experience, but her own personal journey. I'm so glad to introduce to you Ashley Brundage. She is the founder and president of Empowering Differences. She's overcome homelessness, harassment, and discrimination. And then, years ago, while seeking an employment at a major financial institution, she self-identified during the interview process as a male-to-female transgender woman and subsequently was hired. She was offered a position and started as a part-time bank teller and worked in various lines of business before moving to VP of Diversity and Inclusion in less than five years. Since beginning transitioning in 2008, she has worked tirelessly to promote awareness and acceptance of gender identity and expression. She serves on the Corporate Advisory Council for the National LGBT Chamber of Commerce, and in 2019, she was voted on the National Board of Directors for GLAAD. Ashley speaks locally and nationally about her transition, workplace equality, leadership, and empowering differences, and has been featured in many media outlets and publications. She's received numerous honors and awards, including being named as one of Florida's most powerful and influential women from the National Diversity Council. She is the author of Empowering Differences, Leveraging Differences to Impact Change. Ashley, such a pleasure to meet you. Welcome to the show. Oh my goodness. I am so honored to be joining you. Me too. I enjoyed your book so much. I loved learning about your story. And it just got me thinking so much about assumptions. And while I know we'll probably center this conversation more around gender, there's another assumption that many people make, and that assumption is about education and college in professional life. And one of the things that you mentioned in the book, you and you write Another thing that I highlight in my career is that I didn't go to college, not because I didn't want to, but because at 17, life happened. I moved away working long hours to provide for myself. Life had other plans, right? Uh, What happened at that time in your life? Oh, my goodness. It was a scary moment because I had kind of started putting my toe into the water of coming out and living authentically for listeners, um, I was thinking about transitioning at that point in the in the 90s. I got really scared and I hid myself even further in the closet to where no one would ever know that I was even thinking about that. But that toe dipping is what ended up really scaring me from furthering my education all background at that time. Yeah, it I mean I think if we think about I think about the education environment in the workplace today 
and where we are. And then if I backtrack 20 or 30 years and think about where we were back in the 90s, it's a really scary place. And you write, as a Jewish high school educated mother of two, six foot tall trans woman, I made sure to put my differences on the table instead of hiding them, hoping no one would notice. And you eventually made that decision, not only personally, but also in your career. That must have been a really hard decision. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that um, this concept of empowering all the things that are different about you are incredibly important because this world that we live in is we have to really make sure that we position ourselves to be unique and hold our items that are our differences out to where people know that that's what makes you different from someone else. You know, that billion different people on this planet. So each attribute that you have is a position that you can be able to, to share that you have. And that includes everything. I, my educational background is a difference. It's one of the, what I call the 10 most common differences that we have as humans. And for your listeners today, I, I really want you all to be thinking about what makes you unique. You have to be able to position the things that make you different from candidate B or the company that's pitching for a job and what you do for your company that can position it to be different. And that needs empowerment. One of the, I think probably the line, uh, the two lines rather in the book that struck me the most were, were these two. You write, Someone once asked me why I made the choice to transition my gender. I thought for a moment before I responded. When I did respond, I mentioned that I didn't actually make the choice to transition. I made the choice to survive. I think mm -hmm. that's something that anyone who has not been through the life experience and the transition you've been through wouldn't understand. And I'm wondering if you could tell us about what that was like. Well, I, but I do think that there's a step before that, though. I think it's helping your listeners understand that while I'm sitting on this uh, conversation talking about my status as someone from the transgender community, you can insert any single one of your differences into this framework. You can also transition many things in this world. You can transition your education level. You can transition your job. You can transition where you live. All of those, you can transition what language you speak. We have many life transitions as humans. So also remember that. So for me personally, I will tell you that that thinking of transition just being an, an item that we all have to navigate is what made it easier to navigate. And knowing that you're not alone in this process, you have to have people that you talk to, you have to have those allies surrounding you to make a measured impact for you to be able to move forward. Those were things that made it easier for me, um, but let's not kid ourselves. It definitely was not easy. Yeah. And you highlight in your story just some of the things that have happened to you over the years. And you've had people say some pretty awful things to you, some of them in the workplace. And I don't think that a lot of people are aware of what that journey is like. What's an example of what that has been like, of what are some of the things you've encountered and experienced? 
from having a door slammed in my face and a job interview to being told that I would never hire anyone like you to you have the wrong address to being called it or other very offensive terms. Those are, those are lived experiences that happened to me in this journey. And of course I call it a journey because you have to navigate through negativity sometimes And that's why I constantly tried to use the framework of empowerment that I built to help me navigate through that. Yeah, indeed. And I think it's interesting that you talk about privilege in the book and you point out that we all have privilege in some way. We have privilege in different ways. You point out the privilege you have uh, as well today and in your experience, but you also gave up privilege in your transition in going, and especially in the workplace, didn't you? Yeah. I mean, I kind of sometimes joke in the fact that I dropped like 30 social economic levels, um, mm. giving up white male privilege. And, and while I still have racial privilege being white, I still have dropped a lot of, of privilege levels because interestingly enough, in, in the world that we operate Transgender people seem to be getting like pegged in society. And, and what I mean by that is people will look at them and, and immediately start kind of judging just off the surface. And that tends to kind of make things a little bit harder to navigate. So that's why, um, you know, this the framework is so important because giving people the ability to think about using empowerment to leverage change is, is so instrumental in this process. One key for empowering all of us is education and language. And I'd love to ask you about some terminology that I think some people have heard but may not be as familiar to some in our audience. Um, One of the words is cisgender, and the other word that came up in the book uh, several times is passing. And I don't think either of those words are commonly appreciated by many in the workplace and our society. I was wondering if you could explain what those words mean and why they matter to folks in the trans community. Oh, of course. And interesting call out. I actually did. I published a a whole vocab section in my book at the back because I really wanted to be able to have that as an educational resource for people who pick it up. The term cisgender, C-I-S gender, the etymology of the word cis is Latin for same. And, um, and so while someone you know, may be assigned a gender at birth by a medical professional, they can't actually look into their mind or look into their eyes or look into their heart to know what gender they identify with. Uh, So they're just guessing based off of anatomy. So that person would be cisgender if the doctor ultimately got that uh, correct. They guessed right while looking into the soul of the newborn child. Um, Mm. And then the other term that you asked, passing, which is, uh, of course, not just, you know, driving by someone on the roadway. That would be uh, how you move about society. And while I have gone through a gender transition, I have slowly added more passing privilege as I move throughout society because my appearance moves more into what systematically is presented as a female's perspective and what people would 
would look to see a female looking like when they walk by on the street. And so if, for example, I choose to wear really high heels one evening, then I might not pass as much as if I were to choose to wear flats. That's kind of one example, but this passing I concept goes much deeper than that. People with a hidden disability can pass while not necessarily being seen as disabled or having a differing ability. Passing can also apply to some who have different ethnicities. While they might be of mixed race or mixed ethnicity, they may present in one way to be more light-skinned. So they might have, have the ability to pass in that way as well. So passing can technically apply to lots of our differences that we hold. What is the difference in not, not only your experience, I know you, you talk in the book about times that you, you know, quote unquote, have passed and times that maybe you haven't. What's the difference in the experience in the workplace for those who maybe experience more passing and those who, who don't because of whatever ability level or appearance or, or whatever may be true in their own story? Yeah. I mean, I think it's all about whether you go against the grain. <laughs> I mean, I think sometimes it's advantageous to go against the grain. Honestly, um, growing up in the financial services industry is very kind of a reserved sector of our world, uh, especially in workplaces. I, at times, definitely made people feel uncomfortable, but I used that opportunity to meet more people and to change more hearts and minds. It's what ultimately I use to kind of, in essence, leverage my differences. So it really just depends on how you apply it and how you use it to make that impact that we're kind of getting at, I think. I know many people, you know, have have thought about transgender topics and conversations in recent years as we've seen more pronouns being used more visibly on social media and in the workplace. And yet, I, I do think in the recesses of a lot of leaders' minds, there's the thought of, well, you know, this is this is a nice thing to advocate for and to do, and yet it doesn't really affect me. It doesn't really affect my workplace. We don't have anyone that identifies in this community within our team. And so it's maybe not something I think about very much. And when you run into that thinking, where do you invite people to start as a next step? Mm, I, I mean, I, as it relates specifically to pronouns in that example, I mean, I immediately introduce them to male colleague that I have whose name is Kim. <laughs> and, and I say, don't you think that Kim would appreciate that everyone starts using pronouns in, in the workplace so that that way it makes him feel comfortable and doesn't slow down his proactivity either. Because think about how many times a week Kim has to correct the, the wrong gender in an email or on a meeting. So pronouns isn't just an LGBTQ thing. It's an everybody thing. And the faster that we can realize that, the faster we make the, our workplace more inclusive. And I think that that's the ultimate goal as you're moving forward and trying to seize control of these actions to create more empowerment for others. To create empowerment for others, you have to take control of the action. And the action here is to use inclusion as a way to make people feel connected and comfortable and hardworking. Mm, indeed. 
Uh, you know, one of the other things I've heard from some folks is, especially around pronouns, is they'll say, well, everyone knows I'm a man. Everyone knows I'm a woman. I don't need to put the pronouns on my documentation or social media or whatever. When you hear that, what comes to mind for you and where do you encourage people to to think on that? Yeah, I, I mean, I go back to kind of obviously my example I just gave for Kim, but the other piece to this is that at the end of the day, if you, if everyone in the entire world knows what pronoun you use and you still decide to share your pronouns, what ends up happening is, is you're sending an inclusive message to the reader of the pronoun. It won't be everybody that will read that pronoun, but the, but the one person that you finally reach who does read it, that impacts it and that then they will know that you're inclusive of pronouns you've then created an inclusive environment for not only you, but your organization, and then everyone that you touch in that organization internally and externally via email, for example. And the impact of that is inclusion. You are then driving inclusion in an empowering way. It is really powerful too, when you get on a Zoom meeting, for example, with a group of people from an organization and you see everyone has pronouns listed on their Zoom profile. It it sends a a message of inclusion from a leadership standpoint of we support this in our organization and we support everyone and and we empower differences like you call us to do. And uh, and the invitation I'd make to folks is we're seeing now many of the social media and software like supporting this natively. Zoom has recently announced it and supports um, it. LinkedIn does now. You know, it's it, I think that's a that's a very clear first step that almost anyone can take if you haven't already in your organization that really does signal from a leadership standpoint, change and inclusion, doesn't it? Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's an, it's an easy action. It's going to take you three minutes to go into your signature template for your email and update it. And But the ramifications of you making that choice is going to be really powerful. One of the other things that comes up, I know for folks in the trans community often, and there's been a lot in politics and the news over this over the years, is ability and comfort using the restroom. And you write this in the book, not every trans person feels comfortable using a particular restroom, and trans and non-binary people are already terrified of being harassed in a restroom. There are multiple cases of trans people being thrown out of a public restroom or being harassed in the restroom by other people. About 60% of trans people have avoided using public restrooms because they fear being harassed or assaulted. That's the part of the conversation I have not heard as much in the media and the politics and the dialogue. And I'm thinking about this from the standpoint of in leading an organization, whether it's a team or an organization as a whole, For an organization that hasn't done any thinking about this and is thinking about this through the traditional binary lens, where would you encourage people to begin the process of starting to think about how can we help support inclusivity in the workplace? Well, I mean, as it relates to restrooms, I would definitely advise them to think about how restrooms are looked at in many countries because, um, you know, obviously the U.S. is kind of behind in this, in my opinion, but Another another good uh, way to look at this too is 
Because if you've ever, if anyone listening has ever gone to an LGBTQ plus space, uh, it's literally just one restroom and everybody goes and does their own business and then leaves. <laughs> it's really not that big of a deal. But so that's the ultimate goal as you're thinking about your organization and your planning of how you're going to execute and make change is if you create a space that's open for all, then what you're doing is you're creating access. You're creating access for someone to be able to utilize uh, services or goods or resources in your organization. And access, of course, is one of my 10 empowering actions to leverage change. And I think that you have to really be purposeful to have access in mind in, in when you are creating that. For the organization, or maybe the leader listening to this, who's, their organization has not done any thinking on this at all, and it's the traditional binary lens, especially in regards to facilities, what have you seen that has been helpful as a starting point to begin to move forward a bit and in being more inclusive in, in this space? Uh, I mean, I think that the, as a good starting point is to start having a dialogue. I think it's got to start at the top. Your leadership has to have buy-in on empowering others. So that should start with a dialogue. It should start with bringing in experts in this space. Um, obviously, there's a lot of experts in this space that can talk about these topics. And I think that that's where it starts. Obviously, your employees are very hungry for inclusion. This is why diversity, equity, inclusion, justice, uh, all these programs are growing at an at a intense rate it, because there's so much of a need. And um, so as you start to be thinking about the impact that you're going to make, you really have to be purposeful to make sure that the leader, the leader of your org or leadership of the organization it has got to want it. And, and then you need to have that have conversations. You need to consider you know, hiring a consultant or hiring a speaker to come in and be able to really help people see the impact. And it can't just be one person. There isn't one person in the entire world that can speak to every single difference or that can have every single lived experience or have every single my you know minority component composed of them so you have to broaden the horizon to have that come across multiple perspectives my wife bonnie is on the show occasionally and we respond to questions from the listening community and uh, ashley one of the terms that she often invites us to and turn to is to be cautious about binary thinking and 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 having either or on a lot of things that come up in conversations around leadership and tough situations. And I, I think that really extends to this conversation as well, is so many of us have been programmed because of the constructs of our society to think about things in very binary ways, black and white, male and female, and and many, many others, uh, abled or uh, disabled, right? There's so many of these terms, and we feel like a lot of times we have to flip the switch and uh, an idea or a situation or a person goes in one bucket but not the other. And one of the things that I hear is just such a key theme in your work is the invitation for us to say that there's a lot of and and to be able to look at the, this as a spectrum versus looking at it as an either or. I'm curious when you enter into that space, 
with someone and particularly someone who has power in an organization, and they've typically looked at things from an either or, where do you find it's helpful to start to begin to look at the zones that are in between? Kind of going back to what I was saying earlier, I mean, I think that it, the best starting point is to start hearing other people's perspectives. That's going to have the most immediate lasting impact to be able to, to hear what other people have to say on these topics. You're only going to know your own lived experience. So to you, gender may be binary. To you, you blue, boys may wear pink or girls may wear pink and boys wear blue. But honestly, it, it, it's much deeper than that, right? It's so much deeper than that. And I, I think it all comes back to that perspective. So if it were me and I was in that leadership role in your organization, I would make sure that you have lots of things that can really impact and change the perspective at which you see things. So that's enrolling in as, in as many educational empowerment course opportunities that you have, you know, connect with me on, on a resource that I, that I built that is of great help in this space. But I think you really, really have to kind of blow up your traditional way of thinking and, and know that this world is a lot bigger than you, than you may have been led to believe it is. It's one of the reasons I'm so grateful for how much you share your story in the book and in this conversation, because I, I, I love the line from uh, Fred Rogers, who is a, a public television personality here in the, uh, in the States uh, when, I, when I was a kid and was just a wonderful man who taught about love and, 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 and care. And he, he has this beautiful quote that you can't help but love someone once you've heard their story. And I love the invitation to get out of our own experience and start to hear the stories of others. And also the invitation you make about education. And because you teach so many leaders and organizations how to do this better, I, I'm curious, what are some of the things that for someone listening to this who says, hey, I'd really like to take that invitation. I'd like to get a little bit better at understanding the stories of others who are maybe different than my story. Uh, what's a good starting point, uh, either books or resources or, or a starting point personally as far as conversation? Well, I would probably say the four-step process of empowerment that I built would be an amazing way to start, which of course starts with yourself. Like number one, you have to put in the work. You cannot burden a diverse community to, to be the one to answer all of your questions and, and probe all of your thoughts and be able to kind of, you know, teach, teach you everything on vocab and what it's like to be trans or what it's like to be black or what it's like to be, to have a disability. You have to put in the work yourself first. And what I mean by that is you really have to know yourself and know where your pain points might be in this space, where you may lack education, where you may lack empowerment. If you don't do that, and I built an amazing self-assessment resource, which we can, you know, I'll share that with you all. Yeah, that'd be great. And, and you can actually write on my website at empoweringdifferences.com slash self-assessment. And you can download that for free. It's a great tool that can help you. And I force you to answer all 26 open-ended questions to get you really thinking about where you live in this space of empowerment. Because remember, empowerment is about giving power and authority to others. 
So if you want to create real systemic change for others, it starts with you. And then step two is really where I think you were going, which is to get to know others. And that is my step two of the four-step empowerment process, which largely connects to you doing the research first. And that's where you will pull a study at the UCLA Williams Institute or the World Bank on gender, or you can pull a lot of resources. I outline 40 citations in my book, uh, which are resources that you can use to learn more about differing communities, but you really have to not only use statistical information as well, like, for example, if you really want to empower LGBTQ plus people, you should be talking about the fact that the LGBTQ business economy accounts for $1.7 trillion um, just in the loan, which would be the 10th largest economy in the world on its own. And if you can talk about those kinds of empowering statistics, then you're in a position where you really do know others and you can really make that measured impact. A combination of the the personal, the stories, the human aspect of it, but also the results and the business piece of it too. Um, so powerful. And I, I love the invitation to start first with you. We talk so much about personal leadership on the show, right? So that self-assessment, a good starting point to really begin to highlight, where do you begin your journey on this? And so uh, I'm going to link that up in this week's weekly leadership guide, the episode notes. So for those of you who'd like to take Ashley's invitation to do that, I really encourage you to start that as a first step. Ashley, before I let you go, I'm I'm just so curious. You have been, as you've written this book, as you've gone around the world teaching and speaking, I'm sure there's things that have uh, changed your mind uh, over the last few years. As you reflect on the last year or two, what's one thing you've changed your mind on? Um, I think definitely being seen maybe too much as just an LGBTQ plus homer. And while all of the differing communities are stronger together, through my research, I learned so much about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and the Civil Rights Act and the measured impact that his work had, not only for Black people, but also for people who have a disability. The ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act in 1990, which really transferred disability inclusion worldwide, was literally drafted from from the work that was laid from the Civil Rights Act. And then that has led to many wins across the LGBTQ world for equal rights, which is really far from being done in any country, potentially, wherever you go. There's still work to be done for LGBTQ plus equality, but we really have to, I had uh, personally, I uncovered that I needed to be more aware of how the connection is for all differing communities. And that's why I didn't just write a book about LGBTQ plus community. I wanted to write a book about empowerment for all. And that was what my really big thing thing that I uncovered. Indeed, you did. And what a wonderful invitation for all of us to also take that first step. Ashley Brundage is the author of Empowering Differences, Leveraging Differences to Impact Change. Ashley, thank you so much for your work and sharing your story. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for having me.
If you found this conversation helpful, several related episodes I'd recommend. One of them is episode 398, What You Gain by Sponsoring People. My guest on that episode was Julia Taylor Kennedy from Coquel. We talked about the distinction between mentoring and sponsoring. Of course, we've all heard about the importance of both, and Julia makes the distinction in that conversation that mentoring is talking with someone, sponsoring is talking about them. So many opportunities for so many of us to sponsor more effectively in the workplace. Episode 398 is where to begin on that. I'd also recommend episode 510, How to Reduce Bias in Feedback. Therese Houston was my guest on that episode, teaching us some of the things that research is showing, and also just from our own experience. Uh, regardless of where we grew up, the communities we're in, we all have our biases, and often we're the last one to hear them in our language. Episode 510 is specifically looking at how do we get better from a lens of feedback and doing that more effectively. Many places for us all to begin. And then finally, I'd recommend episode 544, Start Finding Overlooked Talent, my recent conversation with SHRM CEO Johnny Taylor Jr. We talked about several places that you as an organization or you as an individual leader may have thought of in the past but haven't necessarily leaned in on in order to find the talent that your organization needs for now and the future, episode 544 is an invitation on where to begin. All of those conversations you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. If you have not yet set up your free membership, I'm inviting you to do so. It's going to give you access to a ton on the website, including every interview that I've aired since 2011, searchable by topic, so you can find more conversations on diversity and inclusion, as this episode will be filed under, but also many other topics that are relevant to you right now where you are as a leader. Whatever that topic is, we have it inside the library, I'm sure. And if you set up your free membership, you can begin by what's most relevant to you now. Plus, you'll get access to all of the free audio courses, the member casts, my own personal library, and the weekly leadership guide that comes to your inbox each week with details of the episode notes and also many other resources that I have been tracking down for you that I think will support you in your ongoing leadership development. Coaching for Leaders.com is where to set up your free membership to be off and running with all of that in just a few moments. And we look forward to having you inside the free membership as well. Next week, I'm glad to welcome Dory Clark back to the show. She's going to be returning with perspective for us on how to win the long game, especially when the short term seems bleak. It's an inspiring conversation, and we've all been there at those places where the short term seems like things aren't going to work out. And then also, I'm inviting you to tune in this coming weekend. I have a conversation coming with Academy member Nicole Verheem on how to actually get value from all these leadership books that we all read. Join me for that conversation this weekend and then Dory a week from now on Monday. Have a great week and I look forward to seeing you then.